0: Biggest Bad Boys Podcast presents Matt Michaels People I Don't Hate Hey
1: everybody, it's Matt Michaels here and today I am joined by Matt that we've seen his talents in uh, CZW Lim- Limitless Wrestling uh, AAA in Mexico MLW AEW He is one of the I guess I, I would call you at this point one of the most uh known and consistently um oh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Consistent, I guess. Consistently consistent, I guess. Uh wrestlers sure. in <laughs> in the business. It's Mr. Grimm. How you doing, Grim?
0: I'm good. Man. How about yourself?
1: Doing alright. I'm doing all right, you know. Um I I twenty twenty sucked, of course. Um But, you know, this this year is starting to look up um, and you've been getting a lot of opportunities lately to, uh, you know, do something that I don't think many people get a chance to do. And that is uh, you came out as pansexual at the beginning of the year uh, on Twitter and yeah. you're trailblazing man you're you're uh you you're putting your your right foot forward and your left foot is coming right behind man it's it's pretty amazing uh that you were able to uh, you know find the the courage to uh, be yourself um you know in the public eye how have things been for you you know personally and publicly since you were uh you know made the announcement on Twitter in January
0: well, personally, I, it felt it felt like I had like a big weight just lifted off my shoulder. Like you know, as soon as I like as I was doing it, I was like, you know, I'm never nervous like not even with matches. And it's like as I was writing that tweet, you know, I was like sweating. I was like, you know, getting anxiety, and it was just like, you know, something that I really never felt before. But at the end of the day, I just felt like you know it was a new year. You know, 2020 sucked, and I figured I was going to go into the new year just, you know, honest with myself. It wasn't necessarily being honest or letting everybody else know, but it was something that I had to get off because it was bothering me for years. Sure. And, you know, after I did it, I just felt like this big weight, you know, just lifted off of me. And, I, like, immediately, once I started seeing the outpouring support, you know, from everybody in the um, community, even people who really aren't, in the community but supportive of the community right you know it just helped you know I was ascetic, and it just made me feel that much better and like honestly I was just so surprised to see so many people have my back like especially like with everything that I've been through with my career so you know it's just you know amazing unforgettable feeling and um you know online it just <laughs> the weird thing about it is like after I came out I am getting hit on more, and like getting messages in my inbox, and you know, like getting unsolicited pictures, and I'm just like, uh, okay, well, I guess this comes with the territory, but you know, uh, it, it's something.
1: <laughs> isn't that isn't that funny too? Who, you know, people just assume that, um, yeah, you know, if you are sharing a part of yourself like that. There are people out there who just assume, oh, well, he's, you know, trying to get dates or, you know, hookups or something. I'm just gonna send pictures of various <laughs> things.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's so it's so weird. And and only now in in society, you know, you think about like ten years ago, nah, not so much. Now it's just like everyone's got them on their phone ready to just dole out to the next person. (laughs) And it's, you know, what was it for you uh, in terms of when you, when you were in locker rooms uh, prior to coming out, um, was there any feelings of, um, awkwardness or you know i because i know um having been in many locker rooms myself over the years um that sometimes the uh the chatter even though it it's not directed to you because people don't know about your sexuality sometimes the chatter can be a little uncomfortable um and on top of that was it something uh that you have that is you know inside of you but then you have the whole other aesthetic of being an African American pro wrestler <laughs> and you know you're you're not necessarily always wrestling in communities that are even open to you know having African American wrestlers around you know um how uh, you know how was that for you even before you came out
0: um it, it was like, uh, it was crazy because, you know, I typically don't care what people think of me. Sure. So it's like, I really, it, it didn't really bother me at first because like me, I, like I said, I don't really care what people think of me because I'm going to be me regardless. But I will say, you know, the whole process leading up to me coming out, you know, it was you know, Nala Rose, you know, her help, you know, and her um, guidance really helped me out a lot and made me more comfortable with doing so. And before I even, you know, spoke to her about, you know, my sexuality, because a lot of people didn't know she was like, you know, one of the first to know. Yeah. So like leading up to that, you know, she actually helped me understand the community a little bit more because, you know, she's transsexual and, I, you know, learn to respect and learn how to properly address, you know, people like you know individuals and you know their different, um, you know their titles. Right. So it's like, but um, I, I mean, I just learned about non-binary, and that that one kind of like still through like throws me off a little bit, like mainly because it's like. Like, I, I've gotten a lot better at it, but it was still, you know, he or she instead of they or them. Right. And, you know, I allowed to, you know, get the hang of that. But, you know, as far as, like, transsexual individuals, you know, Nala Rose, she, you know, she coached me on how to, you know, what to say, what will be offensive, like, normally. But because she knew who I was, like, certain things that I would say, she was like, you know, other individuals might find that offensive. So just keep right. that in mind. So, you know, it helped me grow a whole new respect, you know, for, um, you know, individuals and just their titles or pronouns, should I say. Sure. Um, You know, you've had a a
1: long, um, you know, fairly, uh, what I would say, distinguished career, you know, a nice nice niche you've got going in terms of being able to wrestle at these different, you know, organizations um, that are, are very reputable um how hard was it for you at, at the beginning of your career to make it to a point to, to get up to a point where you felt comfortable enough to start reaching out to other organizations to start you know how long did it take into your career till, till you started feeling comfortable to find the work um because i know a lot of you know nowadays independent wrestlers can easily just you know, email a hundred people, and there you go. It's it's done, and whoever responds responds. Was it tough yeah. when you got it started in terms of you know finding
0: the opportunities to wrestle? What you know, what was difficult for me when I first started was the fact that I had a um, a football gimmick, and it was a uh, multiple you know, wrestlers around my area who had football gimmicks. You had Elon, you had Mr. Touchdown, and you had another individual who had football gimmicks. So it was just the fact that it was like three football gimmicks in one area, you know, it was oversaturated. But it, it was always just a temporary thing to start with because I knew when I first started, you know, that I wanted to have a gimmick that involved, you know, Grim something, you know, because my first name was like TNT. And, um, you know, everything, it, it was fun at first and, and then it, it was crazy because once I started, you know, finding myself, that's when I ended up tra- like transitioning. Yeah. And I spoke to a guy, um, you know, Nala, she helped me as well, but it was a guy named Nui Tafiga. And, you know, I sent off my matches to him and what he was telling me was, I get it, you're new and you, you're excited and you want to get as much work as possible. But one thing you have to do in order to get better opportunities, like I'm looking at this match and I'm seeing like, you know, 20, 30 people. And, you know, it doesn't look professional. And granted, all of these shows that you're going to, you know, you're probably the best person on that card. So what he was telling me was, you know, and excuse my language, he's like, right now you're the king of the shit. (laughs) And you being the king of the shit isn't going to elevate you at all. Because all you're doing, like, you're not learning anymore at this point. Right. So once he said that, you know, he was like, you need to do quality over quantity. And I started doing that and I got rid of, you know, like, stopped working for those companies and started reaching out to companies like with a, you know, better fan base and that had, you know, were more notable. Yeah. And it was very difficult at first, you know. Because like I started when I was like what twenty yeah. five, so I was already, you know, like five years <laughs> until thirty. So it was just, you know, it it was very, it tested my my passion. Yeah, for this um, because I lost you know so many bookings. I was used to working like every weekend. And then it went from working every weekend to working maybe once or twice a month. And I just kept on reaching out to people. And one company in particular, Legacy Wrestling, I reached out to them because they were booking a lot of great talent. And, you know, a lot of the talent that they booked are signed right now. Yeah. So, you know, I was reaching out to them. And the booker at the time, he was telling me, yeah, you know, we like your stuff but we just need to see you working better opponents. And I'm like, you know, y'all have better opponents for me to work. So it's like, you're telling me to go find better opponents, but nobody's booking me against better opponents. So I'm kind of like stuck. Right. And, you know, then on top of that, it, it was just trying to find myself all over again. You know, I'm starting a new gimmick. And, you know, anytime you start a new gimmick, you have to find yourself. You have to find your name. You have to find out what works. And it was just like, man, all of this stuff is going on at once. It was very frustrating. You know, it was really depressing. It it really, you know, like I said, it tested myself, like tested my passion. It tested, you know, my desire just to want to make it. Yeah. But, you know, like, you know, things started happening. You know, I started doing like Dojo Wars. Because that was an opportunity. That was a place where I could go and just show up and you know get get footage. Right. So from there it was Dojo Wars, and then I would say my first big break was when um, Wrestlers Lab started to book me. Like, um, it's funny about that story because like I talked to the um, the owner, and he told me initially he wasn't recruiting for me. He was recruiting like a guy named um, Eddie Blackwater. <laughs> wow. So, we had a match on Dojo Wars, and it was me versus Eddie. And right after that match, he initially, like immediately, like started looking up like stuff for me. So, yeah, and it, I mean it's just crazy how things like how things work because I figured, you know if I never would have started going up to Dojo Wars, you know he wouldn't have known about me. Right. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. So like right after he booked me, I went against a guy named Dicky Moon. And, um, you know, I went out there, did my thing, and then, you know, did a 450, missed it, and, like, it wowed the crowd because they were like, yo, this big-ass dude is, like, doing a 450. <laughs> and then, like, after I beat my opponent, like, I put him in a body bag and then, like, carried him away. And then from that moment, it was, like, crazy because I had notifications, like, of, you know, that moment. I had people writing articles about it. And right there, it just helped elevate my career. And, like, it just started going up and going up. And then, you know, Legacy Wrestling, they ended up bringing me in. Like, at, initially, it was to do a spot as a fan where I was getting kicked in the face by Cedric Alexander. You know, that got, like, I think 70-something K views. Wow. And then, um, later on, like, because I, I kind of got discouraged after that with them. So I'm like, so they bring me in as a fan. And then I was like, what next? Yeah. You know, but they ended up giving me a match. So I ended up getting like a, um, I did a, what was it? A Sammy Callahan um, seminar that they conducted. Okay. And from there, you know, I thought that I was going to get, you know, get picked for the opportunity, but I didn't. So, I mean, it was cool. Like, shit happens. Right. But when they, what they ended up doing was, they had me come in and break up like um, like right after a match, attack somebody and then hit them with my finish and then put them in a body bag and carry them away. So even though, you know, I went there expecting an the opportunity and get, didn't really get the opportunity I wanted, it still helped plant that seed yeah. because they did see what I could do. Then after that, they gave me a match. And from there, it was like one match. Then they put me in a five-way Um, scramble match against Myron Reed, Zachary Wentz, um, Trey Miguel, and um, this guy named something Winchester. And, you know, I did good in that match. Then, you know, they had me in a match with, um, you know, A.R. Fox. And then from there, it was just like, you know, I just kept going up and, you know, elevating from there. So, you know, I tell people the hardest part of my career, Well, it was two things that was hard for me because I grew up in a not so good neighborhood. Okay. So it was like I had the mentality that I always had to defend myself and always had to be on offense because, you know, where I live, that's what it was. Right. Like, I always had to watch over my back. You know, I was taught to, you know, attack before I was attacked because a lot of times you get caught off guard and that can be your life. Right. So what I was doing was I still had that, you know, that hood mentality. And I realized I could not be successful in this business with that mentality. Right. So it was just learning to know my place and to shut the hell up. Because um, I would say my, what, I think I was training for about four or five months. And, you know, the trainers there, they were, like, talking about me and, like, would say stuff on my back. And me, as a man, I went up to him and said, hey, you know, is everything good? You know, is something wrong? Like, try to, you know, be professional, hash it out. They said, no, man, we're good. Nothing like we don't have any issues with you. And then I heard they were talking, you know, shit about me again. So then, like, on this little message, we were in a, um, a group on Facebook. So I literally wrote on the group, you know, in all caps. I was like, look. I'm tired of y'all talking about me. Every time, like, I sit up here and I come up to y'all and I ask, is everything good? Y'all are like, yeah, but y'all still talking shit about me. I was like, look, if it's an issue, like, we can all square up. I will line every one of y'all up and beat y'all's ass one by one until y'all stop talking about me. And, yeah, that didn't go so well. I almost got blackballed and kicked out of the um, <laughs> the company I was training with. So, yeah, you know, my career almost ended there before it even got started. But once I learn, you know, I don't have to be defensive here because honestly I'm not I'm not necessarily I wouldn't say fearing for my life, but I don't think my life is in jeopardy here. Right. Like in the streets, my life was always in jeopardy because any given moment I get into it with somebody and they can pull a gun out on me. Yeah. Here, nobody's usually pulling out guns, so it's like Yeah. So just learning to know my place has helped me be successful in this business. And, you know, that was one of the, one of the two difficult things for me. The second was, you know, quality over quantity because I was so used to just, you know, working and just wanting to get, you know, opportunities and just wrestle. When in honesty, like in reality, the matches that I thought were good were shit and it took me to send it off to veterans to realize what I was doing wrong. So I got to a place, you know, where I wanted to be the, at the bottom of the totem pole and work my way up. So, you know, went from there. Then I did, um, you know, like things start going good for me. I did a tryout with Beyond Wrestling at one of their tryout shows. Like I didn't get the opportunity with them, but Limitless Wrestling, they liked what they saw. So they hit me up. Yeah. So they offered me to come out to Orono, Maine, and do a tryout with them. It was, like, 12, 13 hours away. And, like, me, it's a tryout. So I knew I wasn't getting paid. Right. So I went out there, you know, for the opportunity. Like, went out there, killed it. Like, killed it. Look, I ended up getting paid, like, for how good we did. And then end up getting invited back. I was with them for a good, maybe two years. Sure. So, you know, I'm very... I'm very blessed to be in the position that I'm in because I started, you know, at a company that's really not notable in Maryland. And now it's like, I've elevated from there and it's, you know, I can honestly say I'm probably one of the most notable wrestlers in my area. And I haven't, I didn't even go to a notable school. Like I didn't go to MCW where, you know, everybody's getting signed from, you know, I don't believe anybody from my school has gotten signed And, you know, I made a name for myself just by, you know, betting on myself and not taking no for an answer or letting anybody put a ceiling on my career.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that, too, because I think a lot of times what people will forget, you know, especially young wrestlers, um, if you start in the small pond and you become the big fish, a lot of people are content with just, you know, having that success within a certain local radius yeah and i think that it shows that your drive and passion for the business not even just um you know performing but actually the business itself is what got you the opportunities because you've created it yourself um are you finding yourself you know with with the mr grim gimmick and doing the body bag stuff, that's all very, um it's what you make of it character-wise in terms of that aesthetic character. But in terms of the psychology in the ring, did you find as you were developing this new persona that the matches were becoming a little bit easier for you to be able to convey that psychology to the crowd. Because a lot of times, too, when you're on the independent circuit, you're performing in crowds that may or may not have, you know, seen you if you're not performing in your your home venue. Is that something that's, you know, really kind of um, clicked with you in terms of telling the stories through what you do
0: in the ring? Well, I would say, um, you know, gimmick wise, it's really not a hard gimmick to grasp at all because, like, it's pretty much self-explanatory. Like, you know, you see a guy, you know, this big guy beating people up, putting them in a the body bag, carrying them away. Like, I'm sure everybody can relate to that. Yeah. So, granted, you are going to have some people like, oh, gimmick infringement. But you have a lot of people that are like, damn, I, we don't really see that. Right. And then on top of that, you know, not with just the gimmick. It's like I feel that, you know, my wrestling style is a part of my gimmick because it's not like I'm just, you know, just claiming to be a hitman and just going out there and, you know, pa- playing patty cake with people. Like my matches, like a lot of people question whether my, like I'm really hurting people in my matches. Right. So... I think that helps, you know, create another enigma, you know, enigmatic like aspect of my gimmick because it's like, and like speaking of there, it's funny because a lot of times i um, like fans will hit me up online and they say that they didn't come out, like, you know, approach me in person because I'm intimidated (laughs) and I don't see it. Like I don't, like, I, I don't know what it is, but a lot of people say they're intimidated by me and I'm like, I guess that's a good thing if, you know, people, you know, like when I'm in gear, if they're getting intimidated to come up to me, like they're invested. That it creates a whole like because you know perception is reality. Yeah, and if people are perceiving that you're, you know, this person, I mean, don't get me wrong, I am a badass and I will beat the shit out of somebody if they get it twisted. Like, I'm just I've calmed down a lot, so. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, everything that just goes with my gimmick. You know, I've had a lot of help. I had a lot of coaching. Like, even though a lot of my opportunities I created for myself, my gimmick and my style, it wasn't created alone. I had a lot of different people coach me and, you know, help me develop this and, you know, me taking ideas from this person and that person and, you know, multiple people and even, you know, looking at other people's matches and trying to make some of their stuff, my own and put my own twist on it. It's like, it's helped me develop into the character that I am. Cause like one thing, you know, like I tell people in my matches, I try to make my matches look very believable. Right. Like I have, like, I want people to relate to the things that I do like prime example. So if I'm taking somebody's arm and I'm like, um, you know, going to, you know work it on the ropes or something like that like you know if you see somebody work somebody's arm on the ropes how do they usually work it
1: they, they work it very um i i like to call it very static because there's no real work going into it they're just kind of you know it's it it doesn't look like and it doesn't feel like something is happening
0: yeah. So like, just say this is the rope. If they're going to work the rope, they're going to drape somebody's arm and pull it like this. Right. Me, I'll turn it and hyperextend it because people can relate to that. Right. Like another thing that I started doing is like taking people and like, um, you know, catching them and like bending them like backwards over the ring post. Yeah. So it's like, you know, looking at that, it it like people are like, what like damn. Like because like, a couple of times that I did it, like I was at Enjoy Wrestling and I did it. And then Effie came up to me after the match. And he was like, "Yo, that's the most disgusting thing that I've seen all weekend." <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, "Wait, is that a bad thing?" He was like, "No, that's like a really good thing." It's because I've seen death matches. I've seen people get hit with, you know, all sorts of things, but me seeing you bend a person like backwards over a ring post is very scary. Yeah. So if that's coming from Effie, like, you know, yeah. I, I must be doing something right. And it just continue like, I just want to continue doing things that not a lot of fans see. It's, it, it, it's one of the smartest things
1: to be able to identify that, too, because um, if you look at it, like, like you said, a guy like Effie, he's looking at through it through the eyes of not only a performer, but a fan, which is perfect because he's, you know, in talking to him recently, you know, he said one of his goals is, you know, he wants to be that Terry Funk, you know, style of a guy where people just kind of look at him and go, is he, is he crazy? What is, you know? <laughs> and I think that that's... You know, especially too, in this day and age, with um, with so much prominence in what is considered the television style, you know, where you have pretty much a you know a layout of what is going to be a, either a five minute match or a twelve minute match in that time frame, yeah. and unfortunately, with that, it gets that 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 fine tuning kind of gets lost and i think that if you're able to find that now you can step into any circumstance and look good on tv because a lot of times the camera the camera and the really the producers in the booth are the ones on tv who are making things look a certain way if you can give the camera a reason to do less, then you're doing your job i that's always been my feeling. you know if you can make you know a camera <laughs> believe that this is really happening, this is really intense. That is fucking amazing. um for you too, being that you're you know a big, strong black man. How difficult has it been for you to keep the comparisons away from guys like Big E so that people don't look at you and, and just see you – really, when they look at you, see a person like that? Um,
0: being an actor myself, one of the – Let me stop you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've never been compared to Big E. Never. The person that I get compared to a lot is Keith Lee. Sure. Sure. See, now that one, like, I have not been able to, like, dodge that one whatsoever. Like, it's like everywhere I go, they're like, oh, man, you remind me of Keith Lee. And I'm like, it's cool because, like, Keith Lee, you know, he has a very powerful, you know, style. And he does do, like, some, you know, some athletic things. But I believe I do things differently from Keith Lee. I'm not saying that I do things better, but – I make myself stand out. You yeah. know, Keith Lee, he has his own style. And me, I have my own style. Like, um, I try, like, like I said, I'm always trying to do things that people don't see. And, you know, like another thing, like I have n- not really seen anybody do is like if they're working somebody's arm or like having in a hole and, you know, as soon as the, they the referee acts them and they say, no, they don't give up, then I'll give them a shot to the gut or something like that. And it's like, you know, after that, then I'm hitting one area, they cover up, then I'm going right to the next area, yeah. and, you know, it's like I just try to get genuine reactions from people in matches, so yeah. it doesn't look, you know, choreographed. Do, in
1: in some way, in some aspect, you know, what I see in your style is kind of that, um, and this is just a kind of a you know a shot in the dark here but like a mike tyson
0: style you know <laughs> I, w- I would say that like like i even have a spot where you know if somebody's like in the corner like you know i have like up there on the um the ring like just standing up like i'll start doing like you know boxing punches yeah uh,
1: <clears throat> when you when you think about The opportunities you've had in terms of um, people that you've been able to work with, who stands out to you as one of the, you know, easiest guys to work with in the ring um, or one of your favorite people to work with in the ring?
0: I actually have a couple. Do you only want one? No, no you can give you can give a couple
1: because I think that's you know this is also fans. If you're you know listening to this, take take note to these names because these are people you want to watch. If it's coming from Mister Grimm, you know that he likes working these people. These are the people to to look for. So please share. So I
0: would say first, um, Ar Fox. Like, A.R. Fox is really good to work with. And, you know, he's the first person that I had, like, an actual indie-style match with. So it was, like, it it was just crazy because we called the match one time and he remembered the whole thing. And, like, even when we would, like, take things out and put stuff in, he remembers it right away. And I'm just, like, you know – me me having, like, my first kind of match like this, I'm like, fuck, man. Like, he's just, yep, da, 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 da. and then this, and then you do this, and then I go up, and I'm like... <laughs> but, you know, I um, actually had a chance to work him twice, and both times were just amazing. You know, he's very open-minded to stuff. You know, he rarely says no to anything. And, you know, it was just a very good experience, you know, working with him. Another person... Um, I would have to say um, J.D. Drake. You know, he's like one of my um, one of my mentors. And, you know, I had the opportunity to work with him a couple of times. And it's just, you know, he's so knowledgeable about stuff, especially when it comes to psychology and making things make sense. Yeah. Um, another one, John Davis. Like, he's from the Florida area. Um, I'm telling you, a lot of people, like, who are from, like, the South, I think John Davis was one of J.D. Drake's um, mentors. You know, he has a hand in helping develop a lot of, you know, legit individuals. Yeah. And with him, he was the person that actually learned how to, you know, start doing combo moves, like with like stacking moves on top of moves. And when I, um, I had a debut for USWA, which I actually got that opportunity because J.D. Drake put me over to the promoter. Wow. And they ended up putting me in the main event on, like, that, like my very first show. Wow. And I worked John Davis. We went about 40 minutes. And, you know, I learned so much from that match. And it was just amazing, you know. And, you know, it actually helped, you know, it helped me learn how to, like, call matches better and to help, you know, put move on top of move on top of move because the way we were doing things, it was just like, man. <laughs> like, and I've never actually did stuff like that before. So sure. ever since that moment, you know, like I've been I added it to my arsenal and it's actually helped me get noticed the, like a lot more. And another person, you know, Timmy Lou Retton, you know, we just had our third match over the weekend. And it, I'm telling you, it was amazing. Like um, our first match really wasn't that great. It was in um, Tennessee. You actually came into the match hurt. Ooh. So his knee got tweaked in the match and he went to go give me a german and it like gave out oh. and I ended up landing on his head
1: oh. and like
0: from that moment it was just like uh man oh. but our second match was at GCW not the one in Tampa okay. the GCW based out of Tampa yeah generation and Florida yep. during mania week yeah and like we killed it yeah and after that match um we got booked like, because the promoter was there for the River City Con. And he booked that match again, This like, for this past Sunday. So, during that match, we actually had, like, um, Mark Henry. He was out there scouting the match. Yeah. So, we went out there and, like, killed it. And it was, it was amazing because, you know, after the match, I looked over at him. He was, like, you know, clapping. He <sighs> clapped and then went in the back. So, then when, like, we come back through the curtain, he like, standing there waiting for us. <sighs> And he's like, yo, good shit, man. Like, y'all hit me up on like social media and you know, we gonna. I'm I got you. So like Dude. Yeah, man. So and, yeah. and this just happened on Sunday. So, you know, him and I like only working three times and having the chemistry that we do, it it's just amazing, man.
1: Yeah, that's that's a very um What's what's I think most interesting and you have if you have a good dance partner, the dance is going to get the attention. But also what's interesting is that I think that fans because they're so used to just the TV style in terms of quicker matches and stuff when you're working a longer match when you're working with someone that you can fluidly tell a story with, it's funny that fans don't even realize that, let's say a, a regular sitcom on TV, 22 minutes, you know, without the commercials. If you yeah. work a, If you work a match for 20 minutes plus, you're literally doing the work of telling a story that they would spend, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to do, to put on TV as, you know, a sitcom. It's, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's crazy because that is the, that is, I think, the goal of a performer is to not even make fans realize that it's, there's so much there, but it becomes so effortless when the fan engages in the moment. And if they're invested into it, Boy, you know, Flair and Steamboat. The reason it worked is because within for the first three minutes of the match, you got so invested. For you, has that been something that you found that by you know bringing all these aspects together of character, opponents that are, are wonderful to work with, and fans buying into what it is that you're putting out there as your brand, that for you, it becomes easier to walk into the ring, to sit at a a table and sell, you know, shirts or sign autographs and that kind of, has that made you more comfortable basically, and of course I'm tying this all back together too now, you know, being able to come out and, and really just kind of being able to now start being comfortable in your own skin. Has this been that first part of the journey for you in what will be, you know, let's say a three-act wrestling life? Are are we about to see act number two and that's, you know, potentially more um, appearances on shows like AEW um, or even, uh, you know, an NXT, you know, camp tryout? Do you see that you're ready now to kind of move into that? second phase of elevating your career
0: to be completely honest. And I feel I'm one of my own worst critics. I feel I'm too hard on myself sometimes and I don't give myself enough, you know, credit. Sure. I mean, do I feel that I'm ready? I feel I have a lot more work to do. Like that's just personal, but you know, you never stop learning in this business and you always learn, you know, more stuff. Right. But just from, you know, all the doubt that I had over the this past weekend, you know, just having Mark Henry, you know, like really reacting to the stuff that I'm doing, he's the type of individual that has a very good judgment for talent. Yeah. Like just look at some of the names that he's brought in. Yeah. And it's like, if he sees something in me, I'm like, regardless of what I feel or like negative, like if he sees the positive in me, then I feel I'm ready.
1: Let me, let me ask you on that note, um, being, you know, particularly tough on yourself. Um, as a performer, one of the things I hate doing is looking back at, you know, whatever (laughs) it is I did And, you know, it's just always I hate watching myself or listening to myself, that kind of thing. Do you find yourself, uh, are you someone who likes to look at tape and kind of go back and look at, you know, things that maybe you thought didn't work or things that did work? How do you analyze your own performances?
0: After my match, like I always have somebody record my matches. So as soon as it's over, I always watch my matches okay. and I'll watch it, send it to somebody like um, get them to critique it. Then I'll go back and watch it and, you know, I'll look at the things that I did wrong and see where I need to progress. Right. Because when I first started, everybody it was always so many things that I had to work on. Like now when I'm sending it to people, it's very little stuff that they see that I did wrong. So, sure. you know, from there it's progress. But, like, even now, like, I go back to matches that I've had, like, two, three, four, five years ago and look at it and see what I was doing back then, see if it's something that I may be able to pick up on and start doing again that was positive. Sure. But I'm always looking at my matches to see what I did wrong. And, you know, even when I send my matches off, I don't want to hear the positive. Like, I want to hear the negative. Because me only hearing the positive, that's not going to make me better. Right. Like, like I don't know how many people are like me that just want to hear the negative stuff, like you know, hey, they're like, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? Bad news, <laughs> all the time. Like I want to hear it because I want to get better, and the only way that you can get better is by having people like critiquing you, but not sugarcoating shit. Right. Like a lot of like when like a lot of times you'll have people will say, hey man, how was my match? Man, it was good. Man, like you killed it, and knowing your match was shit. Right. Like, if my match was shit, tell me my match was shit. That's the only way I'm going to get better. Yep. So, you know, having the people that I have in my corner, you know, they've been able to let me know when I've had these really bad matches and not only just said I had bad matches, but tell me what I could do to, you know, to improve. Yeah. And I would take those, you know, their advice and I would apply it.
1: Which is... Something that is invaluable in the business. Let me ask you, um, when you're not, you know, thinking about wrestling, you know, traveling, uh, you know, in the ring, all that, all that comes with the profession itself. What is one or two things that you like to do that, you know, just kind of takes you away from, you know, your work and allows you to have a little bit of uh, of fun on the, uh, you know, the the rare uh, opportunities you get to just kind of breathe and have a good time.
0: Well, I mean, I like hanging out with my kids. Like, I love being with them, and it's just, you know, I feel that my kids keep me back like level, like because even though you know you're talking about stuff that non wrestling related, I'm doing this for them. Yeah. Like I want to like I want to get to a point where they have nothing to worry about, where I can create a legacy that they can possibly adopt, too. Yeah. You know, because I have, um, you know, one of my sons, he was in a match with me with Joey Janela, and he was the one that got kicked in the face and, like, took a really good bump. And, like, every now and then, like, my two oldest sons, you know, they train with me. Like, so, it's like I want to, like, I just want to help them to achieve their goals like i i want them to be proud of me i want them to see that you know their dad did everything that he could to make sure that they were okay that make sure they had a better life you know just to make sure they were good yeah right like,
1: that's man. You, you you can't look at anything uh like that that's the ultimate you know to to think that your kids will, in whatever they choose to do, you know, yeah. have the role model and and, uh, and not only go on to do you know, good things in, in this world, but also one day they'll have the same example to pass on to their kids. And I think that's how you get, you know, uh, taking it from a hard life where you were growing up to not having to worry about your kids or your grandkids having that same you know rough upbringing is probably one of the most important things in in the world and i think that's that's admirable, admirable that um you have that aspect and and are trying to uh, encourage them in every way that's
0: that's amazing so yeah, like yeah. I, I want them to know, like, because growing up I had a lot of people that said, you know, I wouldn't, I couldn't be a wrestler or, you know, chasing after this dream was just a pipe dream yeah. and, you know, nothing would come from it. But I want them to see to like, you know, don't let what people say affect you because at the end of the day, you control your own destiny. Right. Like you might try something, you might fail just because you fail. It doesn't make you a failure. It right. doesn't make you a quitter. Like the moment you fail at chasing your dreams is when you give it up. Right. And I want them to see, you know, regardless of everything that was thrown my way, I just kept pushing. Like I, I stayed focused, had tunnel vision because, you know, I just realized, you know, nobody thought that I would be where I am today. Nobody. Nobody. It was, and still, it's so many people rooting against me, and that just motivates me. Yeah, like especially like regardless of what my kids do, I want them to see, you know, if you keep, if you stay on track, stay focused, stay motivated, you know, stay committed, stay focused on completing your goal, you will accomplish that. Like, it it might it might not be easy. It won't be easy all the time. But you just have to, re- if you really want it, you're going to go get it.
1: Um, let me ask you regarding having kids. What is the one thing, and I think that parents, you know, can can all relate to this this idea. Is there one particular, whether it's been song, whether it's been TV show, whether it's been movie, that you probably have now heard or seen more than anything else in your life because the kids got into that?
0: Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, with my youngest daughter, you know, she's like three. It's so many different movies. Like with her first, it was like um, Trolls. Like, and we will watch Trolls back to back to back to back. I've probably seen it like a hundred times. And as soon as it was over, I want to watch it again. You know, then it was Baby Shark. And I had to listen to Baby Shark over and over and over and over again. And then it was, you know, that song, Johnny, Johnny, yes, like that. Oh, my gosh. Like, (laughs) and like, even now, it's like Bugs Life. Like, my daughter would just randomly ask to watch Bugs Life. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's watch Bugs Life. And then, you know, now she's asking to watch movies with zombies in it. And it's just like, (laughs) yo. But one thing that really is amazing, you know, with my youngest daughter, you know, she's really into wrestling. Like, really into it. And it was funny because she actually got mad at me um, two Sundays ago. I was at Enjoy. And she was like, Daddy, you didn't put him in the body bag. I was like. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny, like, you know, a three-year-old just, you know, because she's like, I want to help you beat people up and put them in a body bag. (laughs) And it's like, how many three-year-olds know what a body bag is? (laughs) But, like, going back to, like, things that she watches, Oh. Like she really likes like watching my highlight tape. Like mm. in my um I have like custom made music and she loves nice. that song. It was like like she starts humming it now and then she'll like say the words and it's like it's really cool. But oh. like when she's in here she'll ask, she's like, I wanna watch Daddy's Mr. Grimm video and she likes watching my highlight tapes.
1: Oh my god. When she starts school, you are going to have to watch out, man.
0: <laughs> Like I mean she's already in daycare and it's like just just imagine like hearing a kid, three year old, talk about a body bag. Like they're like, um sir, what the hell are you doing with your kid? Like <laughs> Oh my god, it's it's
1: you just if she's talking, oh yeah, I like to watch the Mr. Grimm video. It's my dad, Mr. Grimm. He puts people in body.
0: And it's funny because, like, I call her Baby Grim, and like when people ask what her name is, she'll be like, "I'm Baby Grim." Like, <laughs> like it was funny because she was with her mother, and um, like they were out, and they said, "You know, oh hey, what's your name?" She said, "I'm the Baby Grim," and they were like, "Baby what?" <laughs> so her mother had him. <laughs> It was that awkward moment where it's like, oh shit.
1: <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That is so sweet. And I love the reason I love that type of thing is because that is so innocent to, you know, who kids are. Cause they're just honest. They, you know, they, they say yeah. stuff like that and it's, Oh my God. Um, final wrap up question here is, um, I know you've recently posted, um, a picture on Instagram with Sue Young, who Sue is, uh, you know, someone you look to and 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 like very much, and uh, you started a friendship with her because she told you about a chicken and waffle pizza. What is that,
0: and where can I get one asap? All right, so it's um, it was this pizza place in Kentucky, wow. and um, I did a show in at IWA Mid-South, and they weren't far, like, from Kentucky. So she told me about it, and then I went down there, and I hit her up, and I asked her, like, what was the place, and she told me, and I went there, and it was, like, it's very different. It's, like, I got, like, three of them. It was really good. I mean, it has, like, like drizzle, like, syrup on it. Like, it has, like, fried chicken on it, and it has waffle pieces, and I think the pizza's actually made out of waffle
1: wow
0: yeah it, it it was it was definitely an experience but like that's always how like you know we break the ice and that's i mean it's it's crazy like how food can bring people together but yeah just you know that alone you know we started like talking she you know her and rich they've really been like really big supporters of me like even when rich was in wwe yeah. um my trainer they were best friends growing up so after a okay. uh, pay-per-view in Baltimore, we ended up having dinner with them, And, you know, I showed him a highlight tape and he was just amazed by it. And, you know, he ended up sharing it on, um I think it was Twitter or like Facebook or something like that, which was kind of cool because it was like, hey, I had a wrestler currently in WWE, like, share my stuff. And it's like, yo.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's amazing. And it's amazing how friendships like that can lead to, that kind of stuff when you are, you know, when you can back it up, when you can comfortably show a tape, and hey, man, you, you, you know, you're you're proud of what you do, and that's one of the things I I I think that if anyone takes anything away from this, I think one of the biggest things to remember is that you are. Someone brimming with pride, and I think that's so important. Um, you know, and and of course, we're in June, it's a pride month in general, you know, for the community. But I think, in a greater sense, of you know, looking at who you are, but also your work and everything that you've been able to accomplish and still are going to accomplish. It's amazing, man, and I think that that is um just one of the the most inspirational things about you is that people can look to you as someone who is essentially a role model, and um you know it's it's hard to find good role models nowadays when people are just trying to chase fame instead of be a professional and um and not only a professional in your job but also that relationship you have with your kids and you know just everything man um it it's just inspiring and i hope that people you know take the time if they don't know you to get to know um your work to get to follow you um what are your social media handles that people can uh you know follow you and get to know you a little bit better by seeing what you're
0: doing So i made it really easy like marketing is like a big thing of mine so all you have to do go to any search bar put in mr Grimm with one m wrestler and as soon as you do that like you know like somebody did a wiki of me or something like that but it has my twitter it has my instagram on there um my facebook page will pop up you know even the articles that were written about me about coming out like those on there and um My bad. I even I have a, um, a link that's on my Twitter where you can see all of my pages, like all of my links on it as well.
1: Excellent, man. I, again, I'm so glad that we got a chance to, you know, sit and have this conversation. Um, you definitely are, you know, one of my favorites on the East Coast in terms of everything that yeah, you I appreciate been. that, man. Oh, you know, it, to me it's like this um i never trained in wrestling to be a full-time job, you know, to to be a, a professional yeah. wrestler. I trained because i didn't want to miss out on the opportunity, but one of my trainers was Samoa Joe. And really? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, back at UPW um early 2000s um and Cena was there too. Cena would fill in if, you know, Joe wasn't available. My other trainer was Tom Howard. But I bring up Joe because I think that your passion, your dedication, your determination, your size, your strength, your ability to, to show character, it's all very equivalent to what I saw back then from a you know 23-year-old Samoa Joe. And it's just awesome to um, to see that potential there and, and to know that you're on the right track to hopefully get the opportunities and, and, um, you know, hopefully people will get a chance to see you on their TV weekly. And, um, you just, if that happens, man, you're just going to have to buy a bunch more body bags. <laughs> <laughs> <That>. <laughs> Everyone. Thank you for listening and tuning in. And until next time, we'll see you then.
0: Biggest bad boys of podcasting.